Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 201 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a really exciting interview today. I'm talking to Dr. Christy Angevine, who is an obstetric gynecologist turned life coach and host of Habits on Purpose podcast. We are talking about how to change a habit. We're going deep into how coaching tools apply to habit change, some aspects of changing habits that you probably have never thought about or viewed from that perspective. And I think this interview is going to be really, really helpful to you. I think it's going to be helpful to a lot of physicians, honestly, whether they're dealing with weight issues or dealing with other habits. Every physician has some form of habit coping mechanism that they wish they did less of. And so this is going to be a very helpful podcast episode. So please share it with somebody else. Share it with another physician. Post on your social media to share it. I absolutely appreciate that. And it really helps support this podcast by getting the word out and getting more physicians being able to be helped by the things that I'm teaching on it. And while you're at it, don't forget to follow me. Like I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I'm working on up in my social media game. I am pushing my comfort levels and doing things and learning things that I have up till this point tried to kind of ignore and tell myself I didn't have time for. But I'm having some fun over on Instagram and Facebook. So find me over there at Dr. Siobhan Key, which is D-R-S-I-O-B-H-A-N-K-E-Y. You'll get lots of little extra tips and tidbits, inside looks into the behind the scenes of my life and how I approach my own weight loss journey. So it's definitely worth the follow. All right, let's get going into the interview. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Christy. So happy to have you here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is really fun because the last time that we were face-to-face was, I think, our first meeting, I think. And that was kind of just a beautiful happenstance experience. Totally. So we met, just for anybody listening, at the very first life coaching kind of conference I'd ever been to back when I was very first started the podcast and just happened to be sitting beside each other. So I was sitting in this giant room, super nervous, feeling super shy. And they made you do activities with the person beside you or something like that. (laughs) That's right. They did, didn't they? We introduced ourselves and we're like, oh, we're both doctors. We're both physicians. And then we just started talking. It was great. But then the pandemic happened. So then any further communication has all been like digital. Exactly. So it's kind of a gift to be able to have met in that setting. I also was, you know, as an introvert, my interest in being the social butterfly in situations like that is quite low. And so it (laughs) felt like such a gift to me to happen to be sitting next to you just because I also was very fresh on the coaching scene and I knew I loved it, but I didn't know really any life coaches. And so it was beautiful for my comfort level to have sort of that 
that sort of like psychologic safety of, ah, we speak the same language because we're physicians and we also have a passion about this other thing that seemed in my mind quite new compared to other things in our field. So it was just really fun. Oh, totally. I think back then I was still at the point of thinking, oh, should I even be doing this as a doctor? Or, you know, does coaching diminish me as a physician? Or are people going to think I'm wacky woo or something like that? All these funny thoughts that are normal that come up when you're changing. And yet in the midst of it, man, it feels uncomfortable. By the way, I've come just to everybody listening, I've come to a lot of confidence that this is the right thing for me to be doing. And it does not make me wacky woo or any more wacky woo than what I usually am. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think it's beautiful you brought that up though, because I can't speak for your listeners, but I can speak for colleagues, peers, friends, and many of my listeners and myself. When I first was introduced to the world of coaching, I had a lot of very negative connotations and stereotypes that I associated with coaching because it seemed like it was a it was a field that was so unfamiliar to me that I just sort of filled in a lot of notions that were this is non-evidence-based, this is some sort of fluke, some sort of scam, it might be elitist, it may be like people who just get cheerleaders that they pay or their therapy wannabe. I had a lot of ideas and thoughts that didn't match my experience of it, but it seemed like they were around me that I too have like very happily put to rest once I've understood more about it. But they were very present there, especially when we first met. Totally. And you mentioned the like evidence-based piece. And that's why I love that there have been people doing research on coaching for physicians. Because it definitely, we as physicians, we like our evidence, right? We like to know that there's been research behind something. And so the fact we have RCTs now that support coaching as an intervention in physicians' lives, that makes physicians' lives better, I think is so amazing. But back when you and I were starting, that didn't exist. We were starting because we knew how powerful it had been in our own lives we wanted to share that with others, but we didn't have the backing. No, it definitely felt like it was a very countercultural sort of against the grain move. And so I'm very grateful for, I mean, I know there were studies when I was starting out that, but I just wasn't aware of them. And there were not as many studies, particularly in medicine and in nursing and with physicians that there are now. So it is amazing to be in this world where there is the evidence for the very things that you and I find so powerful. Absolutely. So we've gone on a little tangent, but an important tangent. But introduce yourself. Tell people who you are and why you got into coaching and what you coach on. Yeah. So my name is Christy Angevine. I'm an OBGYN by training and I have two kids. I live in Central Oregon. I it was in private practice as an OBGYN for just under 11 years. And I found coaching from listening to a podcast. And in the podcast, there were so many concepts and tools that I remember thinking, these are things I wish I had learned five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And I wish I could know more about these and teach them to my patients, teach them to my friends and family. And so I got into coaching kind of in a happenstance way. I thought it was so intriguing and it seemed so powerful that I basically decided, oh, I will go receive coaching and I will learn to be a coach because like many of us, that consummate student, I just wanted, I figured I could learn to be a coach. I could learn more about sort of the, all the foundational principles at a deeper level, not because I planned on becoming a coach. That was definitely not on my radar. 
until I got deep into it and I thought, okay, I can't not do this. And the people I help coach, I think many of us coaches, we coach ourselves, the parts of ourselves that we have in other people. So I coach high achieving, overthinking, often riddled with anxiety that they maybe don't label anxiety, perfectionistic, most often women and most often physicians. And I help them understand why they have the habits they have so that they can, with that understanding, build more intentional ones. Mm -hmm. Which I love because I think it's really important that we as physicians recognize our medical degrees do not make us immune to habits that we wish we would change. Completely. If anything, I think like our training, there's so many aspects of it that create some of these habits and some of these coping mechanisms that down the road we realize aren't long-term healthy for us. Yeah. And I I think you, you said something so important there that, so there's the container of our medical culture and all the socialization that just comes with being a woman in our particular society and then going through all the rigors of training. There's that container that sort of like a Petri dish for developing some habits that have very natural and very understandable coping mechanisms that may or may not be ones that we love. So there's that piece. And then there's what I see in so many of my clients that I see myself so often too, is this, well, I know a lot. I'm smart. I intellectually can synthesize mass amounts of information. So why am I struggling so hard with and fill in the blank any habit? with my food, with my exercise, with being snippy with my kids, with not being able to say no, with boundaries, with fill in the blank anything. Because I should know better. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. I understand I can do surgery. Why can't I do this? And that itself can be a barrier to making changes. Absolutely. And for the weight loss side, for the people listening, often that shows up as like, I know what to do. I just need to get myself to do it. And you can sit and tell yourself that a really long time and it feels horrible and it feels like a weight that you're carrying around your neck and yet it doesn't actually help you change. Yeah. And I'm I'm imagining that your listeners, they know this quite well, but I always do think some of these really foundational concepts, they bear repeating because hearing them once is not the same thing as deeply understanding them. But when we think those thoughts, so basically to reiterate what you just so, you said so nicely is when we tell ourselves those thoughts of, I should know better, I should know by now, or I, I know what to do, just those thoughts, those usually don't invoke feelings of determination or commitment or peace or relaxation. They usually just make us feel kind of blah you know, whatever emotions that could be for you, discouragement, pressure, stress, anxiety. And from those emotions, it's really challenging to make a change and to try to turn the train of whatever habit you've got in a direction that you want. Absolutely. And so let's start talking about habits. So if somebody's listening and maybe the habit they have is related to eating, but also you know, those listening, there's probably other habits in your life too. Like maybe it's the glasses of wine at night. Maybe it's the time in social media when you know you should be doing your notes. But how do you start helping people approach a habit? Where do you think people should start? Yeah. So I think before I answer that question, I want to just point out that what you listed off are some of the most common habits that I help people with. I don't specialize in weight loss per se, but those other habits that you mentioned, you know, scrolling or a glass of wine, 
Those are some of the behavioral habits that many times people will come to me with. They're like, I really need to be able to get off of my phone. I need to be able to say no when I mean no and not say yes. But those are all the behavioral habits, which are the very obvious ones. But there's a whole other set of habits that are usually the thought patterns that are there. And so these are the, if only I was, if only I was fitter, then I would be happy. The, I can't say no, because then it means I won't be a team player. I'm just trying to think of other ones that are classic, you know, like uh, easy to say little comments, but there are thought patterns that go along with perfectionism, that go along with people pleasing, that go along with once I get to my destination, then I'll be happy. Things like catastrophizing, beating up, all of those habits aren't usually the ones that people come with because they are the sort of the quiet or hidden habits. So if people are listening, they're like, oh, well, I have these food habits, but I don't have any other mindset habits. I would say that usually underneath a lot of our behavioral habits are habits of either emotional responses or habits of thought patterns that are just easier to miss because it's not like we see them on the scale or we feel hungover or we can see our screen time minutes show up like, hey, you've spent greater than 15% or whatever that is that your iPhone says, you know, your, your screen time, your beating yourself up time has gone up 15% this week. We don't see those statistics. But so in terms of how people start, I think that's like, it's such a great question because starting, I think is one of the most challenging things because it just seems like a big thing. How do I change something that has been going on for a really long time that just feels like part of who I am? And I think so the first part becomes being really clear that whatever habits you have, they aren't necessarily part of your identity unless you think that they are. If you're like, well, I'm just somebody who can't stop eating or I'm just somebody who can't say no, our habits aren't really our identity, even though they may feel like it. So that's the first piece. The second piece to this is in terms of starting, I think the key here is recognizing that to change a habit, and you and I have talked about this before, changing a habit is not going to be effective if we're trying to use willpower to do it. Willpower is something that is, it works in the short term and many physicians are so good at it. I mean, we can willpower away through a 24-hour call shift for working for a week straight for years of training. So we're really good at it. It's just not something that's great for the long game or the long haul. And so the alternative to that is trying to, or maybe not trying to, the alternative to that is coming to an understanding of why the habit is there in the first place And this usually requires some reflection. It's something you can totally do on your own. I have a bias that it's oftentimes easier to do with a friend, with a therapist, with a coach. But figuring out what's the why behind what you're doing, and usually it comes down to what is the habit that I'm trying to change? What does it actually solve for? How is it helping me? Because once you know what it's solving for, that's when you can start to understand how it can actually be changed in a way that lets it be changed for life. I really like that aspect of like, what is this solving for? Because I think often when we're stuck in a habit that we label as bad, then we think it's all negative and we can't understand why we keep doing something negative. But the reality and what you're referencing there is that our brains do positive things for us. Our brains are always trying to help us out. They just don't always see the long-term impact of how they're trying to help us out. And so they go for the easy, they go for the thing that feels like it's going to work, i.e. that gives you the most dopamine in the moment. And it's trying to help you. It just might not, that part of your brain might not have the capacity to choose the most effective way of helping you. 
And that's where we need to use our prefrontal cortex and ask ourselves questions and problem solve it, like what you're talking about. Yeah, I think asking questions, like you mentioned, is a huge, it plays a huge role in any sort of habit change. And I think for your listeners, when they're listening to this, they can pick anything that feels like a deeply ingrained pattern in their life, whether it is a pattern of responding, a pattern of behaving, a pattern of thinking. So when we're talking about habits, they can insert anything there. But when you can get some perspective from yourself, and the way I like to think about this is that analogy of like, if you're watching somebody climb their own mountain, you can see things from afar that you might not be able to see on your own mountain. So when you can, whether it's with the help of someone else or on your own, when you can step back from your own habits and look at them with the investigator's hat on or your lab coat or your clipboard or however you like to think about that and go, okay, let me ask, let me do like Shivana is saying, let me ask some productive questions. Why might I have this particular habit? What might this habit be solving for? And I think one of the best ways in is, what do I get from this habit? Because we don't have, I mean, yes, our habits may have an underbelly, but it's hard for me to come up with any habit, whether it is a substance, whether it's a behavior, whether it's thought pattern, that doesn't have some benefit in some way, even if it may not work well in the long term, but there's some benefit there. And so I think if you can note what that is, and like if this is even like pick alcohol, if the benefit is I can calm my mind enough to show up as the spouse, as the mom, as the friend that I want to be, or cook dinner without being agitated, there's a benefit there. But that benefit doesn't have to come from that substance, and that benefit can be unpacked. And there may be more effective ways of getting that benefit. Like, not only does it not have to come from the substance, but, you know, the other ways when you open up to the possibility, there might be ones that offer more of the same benefit that you're looking for. Yeah, because so often we've they linked just, and I think, those benefits to the substance. We think that's the reason. Like, oh, the food is what helps me. This is what, and it's, it's never about that. It's about what is it helping me with underneath that. And that's where it's super individual because we don't all do the same habits for the same reasons. We all have very unique reasons. There might be some themes, but there are unique reasons we each do it. And that's where you can start understanding things and it helps things change so much better when you know why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to have these questions and the sort of curiosity that you're talking about, about your own habits, an important piece is suspending judgment a little bit and giving yourself space. Do you have tips for people on how they can get into the space of the curiosity versus the just frustration about there they went again with the habit? Yeah, so that's a great question because I think when people approach this work, they sometimes bring just the habit of self-criticism and the habit of judging themselves because they may have beautiful perspective. They may be able to step back and be like, I totally see you. I do all these things. I see the benefit of it. This is what I've done for these reasons. And yet, if that judgment is basically infused into their line of questioning, it will always result in some form of, there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm not as good. There's no way I'm going to solve this. And the key first is always awareness. And I think this is one of those things that, especially for women physicians, we are acknowledging that we are really, really good at criticizing ourselves and holding ourselves to a bar that may or may not be very realistic. I think that's the first part. We have to have that awareness because if we think that we're not judging ourselves, when if you asked a million people, is this human judging themselves, they would all say, you know, a resounding yes. But we don't think we are. 
that's where we get into that situation where we're being really hard on ourselves. We have quiet thoughts inside, like there's something wrong with me. I should, I know better. I should be able to do this. But we don't see it as harsh. We just see it as this is just necessary. And so the first step is always having awareness because once that awareness is there, it's hard to unsee it. It's like once you can hear sort of critical voices in your mind, or once you identify, gosh, I walk around feeling discouraged, pressured, behind, less than, and you recognize that those are maybe your classic telltale signs or like the rumble strip for yourself that you notice when you are being hard on yourself. Once you see those, it becomes easier to identify them. It's sort of like, I picture, you know, those books about like bird identification. I'm, my, my husband is really like great about birds. I don't know how to identify birds, but there's little books that tell you, oh, if you can see these features and these markers, then it might be in this family. It's very similar for your own judgment. Once you know, oh, this is what my self-judgment sounds like. This is what it feels like when I'm judging myself. Once you see it, it's so, it's just hard to unsee. And I think the next step from that is when we think about if we were to see somebody, someone outside of us, a friend, a child, a loved one that was feeling the way we personally feel when we judge ourselves, like just feeling super discouraged or defeated or alone, the way we would treat that person is oftentimes very different than the way we treat ourselves when we feel that way. But I usually see, I call it like the pancaking effect of self-judgment. We have a big stack of pancakes. And one is like, I should do better. I should be faster. I know better. What's my problem that? And it just builds. And it's hard to get out of that. But if we see somebody else who's feeling all those same feelings, we would usually approach them very naturally, very spontaneously, very easily with compassion, with love, with tenderness of like, oh my gosh, you seem so down. What's wrong? What can I do? And so I think that perspective if you can have that awareness and then get that perspective, that makes it almost very easy to have the compassion and compassion is the doorway into curiosity. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I agree with everything that you said. And I think, you know, those thoughts, the reason why they're sometimes hard to catch is they just sound like truth. Like when we're saying I should know better, if you haven't been doing thought work and if you haven't been kind of paying attention to that thought and questioning it, it just sounds like you're stating the truth. You're saying, I'm a smart person. I should know better. I should be able to fix a simple, easy thing. And yet those thoughts can be so harmful to your day, to your life. And like you said, it, it comes from catching how things make you feel and also being willing to question anything that sounds like fact in your brain. Because what if none of it's fact? Love thinking about that. Like, what if it's all, all made up? Yeah. And I mean, you and I got the benefit of having some of those ideas introduced to us, the idea that the way we think is what has a downstream effect on how we feel, how we act. And, you know, basically the reality that our minds fabricate for us, that it's that that has such a prominent role in our reality, not the facts around us. You know, it's not the fact that like, I'm in a really cold house right now that makes me feel stressed. It would be me thinking, this house is too cold. My relatives are going to hate it. It's awful. What am I going to do? It would be all those thoughts, not like the cool temperature that would influence how I feel. But yeah, so just the idea that if we can catch how a thought makes us feel, even if people listening are like, well, I don't really understand how to even notice my thoughts. You don't have to necessarily notice the words. And I think that's a good point to emphasize to your listeners is that even if you don't catch the actual conscious sentences of, I should know better, 
that's okay and that's normal because many of those, they are subconscious. Our brain has already sort of like put them down into the recesses. It's just something we believe and we believe very deeply. I should know better. And so we might not actually hear the words in our mind, but we will feel the feelings that they create, sort of the the fingerprint or the um, hormonal impact of that thought. We will feel it. And so when you can feel it, and usually for most of it's just something not so great, something that I would say is unpleasant. That's when you can start being like, huh, I wonder why I feel so discouraged or I wonder why I feel so defeated or what is this? And as soon as you open that line of questioning, I think that brings up that sense of curiosity because questions are thoughts. I wonder why. How could this be? And that could give curiosity. And it's from that place of curiosity that then we can be able to observe things and be like, is it really true that I should know better? Is it really true that? Not in, you know, an adversarial way, but just in a, huh, that's so interesting type of a way. Mm-hmm. I like that. Is it really true? And questioning it. I, you know, the physical experience is a way that I use as, because often in a busy day, you might not notice the thoughts going on in your brain because you have so many going on, but you may notice the physical response. So for me, the way I learned to catch myself when I was stressing myself out was feeling this tightness in my chest and identifying, okay, I'm feeling tight in my chest. What was I just thinking about? And a lot of times at work, it's thoughts about being behind and there's so much to do and all that kind of line. And that what I learned for myself was that was a huge, huge driver for eating. And so now when I catch myself and feel that tightness and go, okay, what was I just thinking? Then the next question is, okay, how do I actually want to think about this? Because thinking all that isn't going to make the day any easier. It doesn't help make everything go smoother. And it drives the habit of overeating to just try to feel better. Yeah, which is such a, in the short term, such an effective way to feel better. Because in those moments of whether it's sugar, whether whatever it is that we've conditioned ourselves to think is the answer, in those moments, we can be temporary respite from sort of the, the cocktail of a thought feeling. And then it perpetuates itself. So, but I love how you said like focusing on the somatic bodily experience can sometimes be the way in. And so that would, I would say those are the, like if I had to sort of summarize, like there are a few key things that you can actually do starting this week when you're looking at habits. It's number one, commit to starting to pay attention to how you feel in your body with your emotions or just with your physical sensations, like you just said, with the tightness in your chest, or sort of like a pit in your stomach, or like a lot of times people will feel emotions in sort of either in their head or the back of their palate or in their shoulders. And just bringing some awareness to that, being like, oh, I notice I feel these things. And that requires pausing. So I always think if you can be willing to notice what you're feeling, number one, and then number two, pause. And if you want to label it, be like, oh, this is anxiety. This is, you know, pressure. This is overwhelm. Great, but it's not necessary. And you can pause. And then your next step can just be like, I wonder what I'm thinking that's creating this. I wonder why that's there. And the fourth step for like the bonus credit is just just to start narrating. Oh, I notice I'm feeling overwhelmed because I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to get this done. And it's from that space of narrating, oh, this is the thought. This is the feeling. Just that narration can help us so quickly drop into some form of something that's calm, curious, compassionate, more centered, more clarity. And I think that's the beginning foundational emotions that can really help with any habit change. Yeah. And just another question I had about habits, because some people will be sitting here 
thinking, okay, yeah, no, I could see using this for that particular habit, but this particular habit, it's going to be like so much harder. Like there can be such embedded beliefs about certain habits being more stronger than others or worse than others too, I think plays a role. But how do you suggest people handle that if they're thinking that, okay, they could maybe do this in one element of their life, but another, they have a hard time seeing it. Yeah. So I think just take the easy way in. If you can see how you could do it with one habit, beautiful. That's where you start. Because when you can cultivate the skills that you and I are sort of discussing here, when you can cultivate and practice and learn skills with one habit that seems like, oh, this could work here. Once you can do it there, you develop a skill set that is transferable to other areas that may seem completely ludicrous at this point. You might be like, well, I could do that for maybe not losing my keys or for maybe saying no and setting some boundaries at work, but I can't do this about, you know, Nutella at seven o'clock at night, or I can't do this with, you know, insert the blank, something else with, you know, developing a better exercise plan or not over drinking. Those are just way too big. I think starting with something that seems accessible is the way to build the skills that are just these tiny little skills that are much more like manageable bits. And once you build them there, then you build confidence. And that confidence, I think, makes it so much more manageable to address the things that in your mind, in my mind, and all of our minds may have a bigger charge or seem like a bigger deal. Excellent. Any other last tips that you want to leave people with? You know, I think the thing that I would want to emphasize isn't something additional, but is just the sort of the thread that I feel like has come through this conversation is that we talk about our thoughts creating our feelings, you know, quite often in the world of cognitive coaching. But I think keeping in mind that being as in tune with our bodily experience as we possibly can, that's a skill set. And building that skill of being like, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I call it. This is how it feels my body. That right there can be such a life-changing piece because knowing what you're feeling, what it feels like can be the way that you can figure out, okay, so what am I thinking? Or the way that you can figure out, oh, why am I doing these things that I'm doing? And it can go either direction and both of them are really, really eye-opening. But I think just being open to sort of slowing down and figuring out what's going on in our bodies when so often we've been really, really good at compartmentalizing and distancing ourselves from our physical bodies just to get through training or get through life or get through parenting or whatever it is. I think that's the last thing I would leave your listeners with is just appreciating that it's okay and it's actually really effective to learn how to pay attention to your physical emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think just an addition to that is, and you can do that on the fly. like. If people are picturing, absolutely, they would have to like yes. stop and find time in a busy day. You can do it while you're writing charts, dictating, talking to a colleague, and just kind of be checking in and be like, "Oh, what am I physically feeling right now, and what does that mean to me?" And yep, absolutely, yeah. You don't have to go sit on a yoga meditation pillow and be like, "Let me list all the feelings I'm feeling." <laughs> you can literally just in your mind, in a quarter of a millisecond, go, "My chest feels tight. Mm-hmm. This maybe is anxiety." Super easy to do on the fly. Yeah, which is excellent. Can you share with everybody where they can find you and learn more about you? 
Oh, absolutely. The best place to find me is my podcast. It's called Habits on Purpose. Um, I keep everything the same in my business. My podcast is Habits on Purpose. My website is habitsonpurpose.com. There's a Facebook group called Habits on Purpose. And then you can find me on, you know, on Facebook under my name or under Habits on Purpose. The same thing for Instagram. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. It's been so nice hanging out with you this afternoon. It's been so nice hanging out with you too. Thank you so much for having me. All right, really good stuff there. I think really helpful ideas for approaching your own habits with a compassionate lens. And you know I love compassion. You know I really believe compassion is the route to true lasting change in your life, no matter what you're working on. And so I really loved a lot of Christy's points that she had in that. Remember, share this episode with somebody. Every physician has habits that they're feeling frustrated about and wanting to change. Share it with another physician, post it on your, in your social media, make sure that you get the word out and it just really helps support the podcast. And I absolutely appreciate it with all my heart. And if you also want to support the podcast even further, consider leaving a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Reviews help the podcast get found as well, as does you hitting the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast. All right, have a fantastic week. If you have any questions at all, any comments about today's interview, please let me know. DM me on my social media, that's Dr. Siobhan Key on Facebook and Instagram, or send me an email at info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. 